Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast. I'm Jeff, and that's Jim. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? It's good. It's Friday. And it's a Friday that's always a good thing. Mother's Day. And it's looked, looking like there's going to be crazy weather throughout the U.S. Yeah, I think there's a snowstorm hitting the Northeast. I think I think we'll be okay here in Chicago, but it's been kind of rainy the last few days. Okay. Yeah, I mean, What's the Southeast look like? It's unseasonably cool. Um, yeah. Usually, this is the time of year where it starts getting. I'm sure you'd be uncomfortable. For the time <laughs> normally, you'd be uncomfortable. Right now, I think you'd enjoy it. It's like every day is high in the low 70s or upper 60s, sunny, low humidity, and I mean, this is this is great living weather. Yeah, the high heat and humidity is something that really are my is my kryptonite, and I think I think you know that. <laughs> well, I know the humidity is. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I might as well share the story with everybody, Jeff. Uh, yeah, why not? Go ahead. I always tell it, which is the time we went to Orlando in January. <laughs> you're like, yeah. oh, you were miserable. You were like sweating, and I was it's like, Orlando. Jeff, like, it's humid. It was it was in the 80s, I think. But humidity is always a thing that I really hate about Florida, and really kind of any humid location. Pretty sure it was about 74 degrees. <laughs> No way, man. It, it was like yeah. 100 degrees and it was like a thousand percent humidity. <laughs> this is what we happens to... with stories. That's why, you know, you can't you can't rest solely on people's memory. The truth is somewhere in between. It's all about perception, right? Either way, I was hot and it was not not my favorite type of weather. That's for sure. That's right. Um, so it's Friday and today is May 8th. Yesterday, though, was May 7th and that was world password day how did you celebrate oh i mean you know it's it's like christmas for me i just (laughs) i celebrate the password um put up a password tree no i just reminded myself that that quote from um the from office space i celebrate his entire collection (laughs) i celebrate all of my passwords no i mean you know i think that i'm just gonna sound so original here but Passwords are crap. They mm-hmm. really should have been eliminated long ago because now the internet uh, is such an integral part of our everyday life and they're so ingrained in how we authenticate over the internet. You can almost barely imagine a world without passwords, yet that's where we need to head. Yeah, password is not modern authentication, that's for sure. Um, you know, once you get a hold of a password, it's really just a matter of time. Even if it's encrypted, right? You're running. If you got an encrypted hash somewhere, you're running rainbow tables. And once that has been cracked once, it's cracked everywhere. And that's you know why the guidance is always have a different password for each website. But in the reality of the world, right? That's very hard to do. Most people pick you know one, two, or three different passwords, and they just start adding numbers to it. So it becomes very easy to solve for. Um, I like the concept of moving towards, you know, passwordless, but I don't think we're quite there yet, though. It is gaining in, in popularity. Um, I've got a couple yeah. of passwords that I've reused. So one of the one of the things that I read a long time ago that I thought was um, kind of good advice was that because I don't use a, a password um, safe, um, 
to have kind of a framework for how you use passwords. And so for really kind of critical applications that I want to make sure never get cracked, I either ensure that one, they have multi-factor or two, that I'm using a unique password. In other words, I invest the life energy in making sure I have a unique password for that site. I like that, the life energy. <laughs> yeah, the life, it takes some life energy to have like, you know, extra passwords that you don't have elsewhere and right. to remember them. And then there are sites where it's like, okay, I, I'm not going to store my credit card with this, you know, online commerce site. I'm probably going to buy something from here once or twice. I'm They're making me create an account. So I'm just going to reuse that same password I've used a million times. Um, and so I do that. And one thing I've noticed is that Google Chrome now has a feature to kind of shame you. Yep. And it's, I think it's a really cool feature, which is like, oh, hey, boss, you're, you know, this password's already on the dark web. You're like, holy moly, wow. <laughs> Guess I need to go <laughs> I mean, make a change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, okay, maybe I should stop using that one from now on. Uh, but yeah, you know, that's, that's kind of been my approach is that I, you know, for financial stuff or where I store my credit cards, um, I'll either ensure that multi-factor or I'm using a, a fresh new password. You're really taking a risk-based approach then to password management. It is a, it is a risk-based approach and it's partially is laziness because I know if I were to use uh, a password safe, I could be doing something much more secure. Um, but you know, I, I find that there's a, a certain level of inconvenience involved with doing that, especially when you have many devices and those devices span different uh, ecosystems. You've got mm -hmm. like, you know, some Apple stuff and you've got some Microsoft stuff and some Google stuff. And you want to just be able to log into something. Um, I don't know. I'm making excuses, especially for somebody who's <laughs> in this industry, but it, it kind of shows the problem. Even somebody who understands all the risks of doing things exactly the way I do them, I do them that way anyhow. You accepted the risks. So I fall on the other side of it. I use a password manager. I use LastPass. And you know, I wouldn't say I've always done it, but since I've become more involved with security, I've tried to go more random passwords. And the struggle of you know, cross devices and different you know, ecosystems between Apple and Microsoft, iOS and Android. I'm someone who is constantly jumping around between all of those services. So um, I've settled on LastPass as my password manager because they have an app basically for everything. Mm -hmm. um, and that lets me really kind of tame the beast a little bit. So uh, I use, you know, randomized passwords and, you know, all the different complexity things. And, I tr and I've been trying to make a more conscious effort of having a different password for each website. And if I haven't, as I come across it, uh, you know, I've been going through the password change process to kind of get it synced up. And that so far has worked pretty well for me. You know, my, my workflow stretches across Windows machines, uh, Mac, Mac OS, and iOS for, for phone and tablet. And I've found LastPass has made it a lot easier for me. So Obviously, we don't have sponsors on this show. Otherwise, we'd have a better green room situation, <laughs> as, uh, as Ron mentioned last week. Uh, but, you know, it's something that I've been using for years, and it's free, at least the version, you know, that I'm using, and it, it works well. So Now, we work in the option. company of 
under 100 employees. And so we don't have managed devices, but I can imagine that, you know, if you were working in a corporation, you could have um, a number of passwords for the corporation and personal may or may not be allowed to install LastPass on your corporate devices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A There's and a lot think, of different so, things. So, yeah, I don't want to shoot. I think what you're doing is way better than what I'm doing, right? But <laughs> I think, so that was objection kind of number one, I would imagine you might hear. And objection number two might be, what if you lose your master password? Or what if you fumble yep. your master password for um, LastPass and somebody has yep. access to everything? Yeah, that's why you've got to make sure that, I mean, you know, use MFA even on that. You're, I'm using, you know, a password by itself that is not used anywhere else just specifically for that. I mean, it is a lot of work and I think it covers up the problem, which is, you know, passwords just inherently are insecure. And I'm, I'm excited about passwordless, you know, future, whether, you know, how often or how quickly that comes along, you've got things like windows hello and, you know, authenticator apps and so forth. Um, I saw recently, there was an article that um, at Microsoft's Ignite 2019, which is about six months ago, there were a hundred million people that were using password, passwordless logins every month. And that includes things like windows hello, the authenticator app, you know, push based, and then different um, security type keys like PPP, et cetera. And they've seen as of a couple of days ago that that's grown by 50% already. So now 150 million people um, are using capital, which I think is great. Um, you know, I think it's a step in the right direction, but I'll be happy when we can finally say, yeah, the password truly is dead. Yeah. But I have a feeling that's gonna be, you're, you're carrying something else that's your password, right? It's a lot of companies are focusing on your phone as kind of like your secondary off. Um, or even maybe even primary authentication in some cases. Right. And, and we had a discussion, I'm trying to remember who it was with earlier this week, and we were talking about, you know, the whole idea behind, like, why don't you know, companies or why don't more folks invest in, um, you know, hard tokens? And part of it is that it, it seems like something is, like, there, it's hot, it's the now. But the next thing is right around the corner. And so how much, how many dollars would you invest in something like that? Knowing it's probably going to be obsoleted in a couple of years. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, going back to my operations days, having to manage RSA tokens and, you know, having to deal with the logistics of hardware keys is is a challenge, right? I mean, you've got to get them out to people, people lose them, they break. You know, they're not configured right. There's a whole bunch of things going wrong. Um, now, that was admittedly 15 years ago, roughly. So, you know, the process has gotten a lot better right now. It's Now it's more of a app-based thing on your phone. But um, I think it'll be interesting to see how this space evolves because there's also other things too, right? They're like keyboard analysis. Your, 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 your typing cadence, right, can be a, a way to biometrically authenticate, which I find interesting. Um, I'm trying to remember typing DNA was one of the examples that, that we've looked at in the past as right. kind of evaluate the space. But um, I'm waiting for, you know, natural language. You know, when is the computer from Star Trek <laughs> going to be there and be able to handle natural language queries and authenticate based on voice patterns and prints and all that good stuff as kind of routine, you know? Absolutely. Any, anything we can do to get closer to what did they have in Star Trek where 
it was a room where it was like a virtual reality the holodeck holodeck i mean that is like that's everything right there i don't think i'd ever leave the holodeck well that's i think that's kind of where vr is right now and you know i've 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 dabbled around with it here and there, and it is very good, but you're, it's still, for the most part, unless you've got a really good setup, a tethered experience. So yeah. you're stuck in a room or you have a wire or something connected to you. I mean, there's, there's wireless versions of it out there too, but you're still very limited by the space. I have seen that there are some um, like, a, you know, like laser tag t- style games, right? That take place in giant warehouses where it's a VR experience, but man, I'd hate to be running, you know, head first and <laughs> crash into a wall or something like that. Right, uh, exactly. Because of the boundaries. But I think, you know, it's the beginnings of it. It's like anything else. Uh, at some point, it'll miniaturize and get cheaper and become standard. You know, Microsoft's been trying to make HoloLens a thing for years and hasn't caught on the consumer space, but I think businesses... You don't think VR, VR is going to, to go the route of 3D TV, huh? Well, I, think I don't know. I know a it. lot of people are like, when 3D TV was hot, a lot of people are like, eh, I don't care about that. I don't want that. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I think it's very cool, but it, a lot of people, it makes a lot of people sick. You know, the, they, the, it's not good enough to the quality where the experience and the fidelity can trick the mind for all people. The other thing, too, is the discomfort. Uh, people who wear glasses have to put, you know, something over there you know, over that to be able to see things. It's, you know, yeah. I used to wear glasses, but right before I had, you know, LASIK done. And that's a, that struggle is real. Trust me, <laughs> you know, putting a <laughs> VR mask over your glasses is not the most comfortable thing in the world. And, you know, there's a lot of different things that kind of go into the comfort of it. Um, who knows? So maybe, you, maybe holograms will become, you know, the thing at some point. When you and I first started working together, you were really into VR. You spent a lot of money on it. What, where do you stand with that now? Are you doing it much? Uh, I'm staring at it right now. It's in a box underneath uh, my my computer desk here. <laughs> um, it's kind of a hassle for me to kind of pull out and put together. The technology definitely works, though. Uh, but it is, like I mentioned, kind of a tethered experience, and I really haven't been using it. It's probably time for me to say goodbye to it. But um, for those wondering, I have the, have the HTC Vive. There's Oculus, which is owned by Facebook now. Um, they have another you know product out there as well that's pretty good. but. Yeah, I, I find myself not using it, and it's not for anything other than, I guess, general laziness. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I got you. Um, yeah. That's what, ha- I mean, it has to be worth the time investment for you, otherwise you're not going to do it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to, to set up for that one. I think the newer versions are a lot better, where you don't have to put these base station ups, and you know, you don't have wires kind of over the place. I think Oculus has, has gotten that part right. Um, the experience is a lot better and, you know, who knows from a virtual workspace perspective, you know, that might be a, a method to look at. Maybe, maybe your mask, your VR mask will become your device. Right. Right. Or, yeah. Or, so with the VR mask, were, did they have any kind of facial recognition or take a DNA sample or did it do anything <laughs> cool to to authenticate you or did it was it like you had to type in a password yeah i mean you're still using apps right it's not really an authentication device yet yeah i think the one that would make the most sense would probably be some sort of retinal scan because you've got your eyes within this enclosed area you know that would probably drive the cost up quite a bit so 
you know, as the prices come down, might make sense that when you put your mask on, it you know, does an eye scan and authenticates you that way. It'd be tough to do facial recognition because mask is covering half your face, at least at this point, based on current technology. So I think it's the same problem that a lot of people are having wearing masks out right now because of COVID. Um, you know, face ID doesn't work <laughs> because right. you're, you get a mask covering up and Apple has recognized that as a problem. And, you know, supposedly in the next uh, iOS point update that they're releasing, you know, they'll, they'll have a solution for that, which I'll find, find interesting to see how they're going to keep the security, but also, you know, make it still user-friendly. So I think that's, that's something to kind of keep an eye on. Pun intended. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah right. So keep this on the uh, password day conversation. Um, you know, I think the thing with multi-factor, here's the way I, I look at multi-factor is, yes, usually one of those factors is a password, which is going to be weak. But then the second factor is usually something out of band or some biometric. Mm-hmm. Um, and while we know a lot of the out of band um, methods can be cracked, I'd say for many, many use cases, this is still trying enough. In other words, it creates enough of a hurdle that going ahead and cracking it is you know too much effort for what you're stealing now i think if you are you know protecting national secrets or you know potentially even like uh financial data um you know sms text as a second factor is not strong enough however if you're protecting you know your ability to upload pictures to facebook or something it probably is uh, the problem with Facebook, I, I, Facebook came to mind and I thought of how Facebook has become an identity provider and connects people into so many different things mm-hmm. that it kind of concerns me that, you know, getting so access to somebody's Facebook isn't about just deleting their pictures or putting up a, you know, a, a, a stupid post. It's what can you then branch off to do when you have hijacked someone's Facebook account? So. Probably not the best example, but if you've thought of something else that's more trivial, you know, having a second factor is uh, an SMS text or an authenticator app. I think with authenticator apps, like for me and you, and probably most people listening to this, we don't think of authenticator apps as something that foreign. But I keep the person I use in, in my world who is a non-computer person is my dad. Mm-hmm. I just imagine trying to explain to him how to set up Google Authenticator. Yep. I, I, I think I get, I, I get a panic attack even thinking about trying to have that conversation with them. Yeah, there is definitely a, you know, a, a, a hurdle to get to gain entry, to be able to do that easily. And, and I always, you know, pick on Apple as a good example of how they've kind of commonized MFA, for example. You know, iOS specifically has MFA built into the OS itself. It's very easy to use. And they've kind of, people are used to, okay, I'm going to get a code somewhere, right? It's on my phone or whatever it is, whether it's SMS or a pop-up on the device. And, and Android does something similar as well and other devices as well, but, um, or other OSs, I should say. But yeah, trying to explain here, I want you to load the Okta app, right? And then register the Okta app with you know, systems, it's easy for you and I because we get it. But yeah, you know, I can see how, you know, people struggle with that. I've been trying to get my wife to use LastPass, you know, for years because she's constantly, you know, having her log into different machines. You know, what's my Microsoft password? Well, I don't know. It's your password. And then, you know, she's sitting there kind of thinking about it. Like, well, why don't you use a password manager? 
And she's just, like, well, why don't I just use the same <laughs> password for everything? <laughs> right. So she knows that much. I, I think as far as, you know, me educating her, she knows that that's bad. And, you know, when she spots something that's weird at her company, you know, she'll tell me about it. I'm like, oh, you wouldn't believe this. So I've kind of turned her into a little bit of a password or identity kind of, you know, evangelist, but um, right. it's not easy, right? To, to well, get it out there. Well, spotting people. things that are weird at, at companies and, you know, obviously I think the thing that I see every day, everybody sees every day are all these phishing attempts that come through and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the quality values. Some, you still get the random one where it's like, um, <laughs> you know, a, a prince in Nigeria needs you to send your bank account information or I want to send you money or just some scam that's like, oh my God, delete. Right, the IRS um, is, is wants to refund your money and you need to pay them back in Apple gift cards or Google Play gift cards. <laughs> Yeah, those are those are obviously legitimate because you know the IRS accepts gift cards as payment. Yeah, of course. I mean, why wouldn't they take Apple gift cards? It's, mm-hmm. Hey, at some point they might be worth more than U.S. currency, but that's another <laughs> that's another conversation. Um, but you know, some of them are ones, especially when they're persistent. Like, you know, this is the final warning: your Apple ID is about to be disabled. You're like, hmm. I got like seven of these now, maybe. And then you think, no, you know, yeah, and I think you, you do open them. And, and by the way, when you open an email, a lot of times it's an HTML email. They'll have a, a tracking bit is what you know, usually call it. In other words, it's like some image that yeah. one, has pixel. A unique, one pixel or it could be an image. It's like, it's a unique URL that says, you know, this, this particular email is opened by this particular user. Now they they know they have somebody on the other end who potentially is at least gullible enough to open their email. And now they've got someone they're going to keep sending those spam emails to. Yeah, some of them are, they saw read it. They're very real looking, right? I mean, they take, but you just have to be diligent to follow certain rules not click on links that are in those emails i mean if you get something from paypal go directly to your paypal app or go directly to paypal.com don't trust the the link in the email usually you know if you really know what you're doing you can tell if it's fake fake url but it's just better to especially if you're talking about educating and i think this is a big thing that companies do is come up with cybersecurity awareness training, education programs to get people, especially around um, phishing attempts, to be able to spot them and not fall prey to them. Um, and then I know a lot of companies are going out and trying to spearfish their own users. And spearfish, I, that's a very, I think that's a very technical term, right? That talks about identifying a particular individual. And trying to convince them that there's an email, you know, from somebody else within the organization that maybe is their their boss or somebody higher up, and so it's directed directly at them. And it's you know versus regular phishing, which is where you can send it to everybody in the company, for example. Right. Um, yeah, phishing is kind of like I see it as like you know you're you're just casting on a line and whatever bites bites. Spear phishing, you know, you're going after big tuna. <laughs> right that's it's right. a very specific specific thing you're looking for a specific person yeah and it's usually there's somebody who's high up in the organization who would have access to sensitive data or might have some information in their email 
Those are usually people who can be tricked. Sometimes they go after system administrators. The system administrators, you would hope, are a little more sophisticated than to fall for a phishing attempt. But I think that obviously, if you are able to get your hands on their credentials, it could be much more valuable. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up the phishing thing because I came across an article this week and it's um, it's from Barracuda Networks, and they had commissioned a research company by the name of Censuswide, which I've never heard of. So hopefully this isn't any type of fake news or <laughs> plan or whatever. <laughs> but um, you know, they surveyed, they went out and surveyed a thousand different business decision makers across the United Kingdom, US, France, and Germany. So obviously not global, but enough of a representation, I think, to draw some conclusions. And one of the things that you know they saw was over half of them, 51%, um, had seen an increase in phishing attacks since this whole COVID-19 and the shift to the remote working model uh, took place. So I think it's definitely you know on the rise, you've got bad actors who are trying to take advantage of the situation. And you know, part of that is um, you know, the training that goes along with it, over half again said that their workforce wasn't proficient or properly trained in cyber risk associated with remote working. So remote working is brand new for a lot of companies, right? This is not something that they've had to consider, you know, in the past. And now all of a sudden, you know, within a span of a week, two weeks, right? Now they've got most of their workforces working from home. They've had to put in, you know, very tactical, probably um, processes to kind of keep the business running, you know, throughout this uh, pandemic. So I think it highlights, um, you know, some of the things that maybe people are already seeing or, you know, should be aware of, but there's always more training that can be done. But I thought it was interesting that, you know, over half basically are saying, yeah, we're seeing a rise in fishing uh, because of the whole pandemic. And I would expect that that number will, you know, continue to grow because I I expect that, uh, you know, most companies, at least big ones have announced that they're going to extend, you know, work from home as a primary method through the, at least the end of this year, you know, some are already saying, you know, through summer of next year, you know, full year out. Uh, so it's something I think that as people in the identity space, we need to make sure that are, you know, communicating to the folks that we work with and colleagues, et cetera, right. To be able to um, hopefully <laughs> improve the level of security that's out there and at least just make people aware of, Hey, you know what, you, you may see, you know, an uptick in, in phishing attacks. Yeah. And I, a couple things. I mean, you lit up my radar of a few things there. I'm going to pick on the non-security thing first. So it's the increase and semi, at least semi-permanence of um, work from home. I've been a proponent of this for a long time. I've worked from home for a decade, and I feel like um, it's probably not for everybody. And there's Definitely some benefit to everybody being in the same place. So I'm going to make that statement. However, from a quality of life perspective, um, and the ability for a company to, I think, retain employees, allowing work from home, look, you know, what's the average commute in the United States uh, to and from work? It's probably more than a half hour each way, right? So it's probably a half hour to an hour each way. People are spending a, an hour to two hours a day, 10, you know, five to 10 hours a week of their life sitting in their car. 
burning fossil fuels, spending money on parking, um, you know, wear and tear on their car. And, and it's just a reduced quality of life, I think, mm-hmm. versus the ability to work from home. Now, every job, I, I, I understand all the caveats. I'm not going to go through them all. But to me, this up, that it, it could be a positive development to come out of this is that I think a lot of companies were afraid to even try it. And maybe, maybe companies out there, maybe some um, situations are finding this is very suboptimal. But I bet you there are some organizations that are saying, you know, hey, we could, we could actually do this. We could save money on commercial real estate and improve the lives of our employees by, you know, allowing work from home either more or all the time. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of people who have been told over the years that job that they can't do remotely can absolutely be done remotely. <laughs> Right? Yeah, I mean, the technology is there now. It is, you know, not something that's, you know, um, new or cutting edge and you're waiting for other people to figure out all the bugs and wrinkles for it. You know, it's like anything else that's out there. It's, it's infrastructure is it's configured correctly and you're following good hygiene on security and, you know, identity management. Then I feel like the most most people could probably do some, if not all of their work from home. And you know, I'm a big fan of it. I've worked for companies in the past that did not have work from home and have slowly, you know, at least when I was there, kind of come to an agreement. Okay, you can work from home one Friday a month, right? And then it became, okay, every Friday, right? Or something along those lines. And this has really thrust, I think, that decision-making back to the forefront to say, look, what are we, you know, what are we doing here? I think... I think life is a lot easier when you can't work from home, but it is not definitely not for everybody, like you mentioned. I think there is some discipline that that needs to be there because, um, you know, you may have deadlines or there's work that needs to get done, you know, within a certain amount of time, and you may have distractions at home or you know there's, you know, too many other things that might be competing for time, especially right now with kids at home from school, right? I can see that being, uh, uh, you know, an issue when you're trying to manage children in the house as well as work responsibilities. So. I think fortunately yeah. a lot of companies are recognizing that and kind of working around it. Um, but there is definitely things to consider just from, from that side. But I am, I am a huge proponent of being able to work from home when it makes sense for all the reasons you listed. I think that the, the biggest thing that I'm seeing since the uh, pandemic started is that people who maybe even were work from home folks uh, traditionally now have their kids home either because schools have been canceled or daycares closed and you know where they might be able to rely on uh even um you know other family members watching their kids or however they had childcare those things mm-hmm. have dried up and so now you've got four-year-old and five-year-old kids hanging on their parents while they're trying to work <laughs> that's a totally different situation than what I've run into traditionally with people who are working from home who have designed their life around making sure that that doesn't happen or you know, that only happens on, you know, weird things like snow days or whatever. Now it's acting like it's like the everyday occurrence. And even most of the people that I've been working with who are, you know, working for other companies where they work from home, they've worked out a situation. So say, you know, mom and dad are both home 
working from home now, and now the kids are there. They're figuring out some way to split the working hours so that you know somebody's watching the kids and keeping them away. So I saw a really funny video the other day. It was a guy doing a television interview, and and uh, one of his kids busts through the door, <laughs> starts like you know flailing around, and then um, the mom like reaches in she's trying not to be on the camera like pulls the kid out of the room it was yeah, the most hilarious thing I'd i think you're talking about the one from uh i think it was a i don't remember if it was bbc or one of the british yeah. uh ones right it was i think it was last year or they yeah that that made it all over the place i think they actually turned it into a commercial for like skype or something like that for like you know blurred backgrounds or something like that right right yeah. oh man that was that was good that was golden um yeah. but yeah, so I mean, and now to pull it all together. So I think one of the the biggest risks overall with you know working from home is if you're relying on passwords to get to as your only form of authentication to get to services, whether they be cloud services or to get back into the internal network. I mean, then it's a huge. You know, obviously, you've got open to the outside world if those passwords are weak because uh, I, I think what's happening is that companies are now having to open things up in a way they haven't in the past and one of the things i'm going to point out i know we don't like our podcast to be a commercial uh but i noticed that ping who is one of our partners has sent out an email that uh, i think it's either for the current customers or I, i'm not sure if anybody can use it yeah i think but, it's for anybody uh, it's for anybody where you can essentially start leveraging their multi-factor authentication service for free to help secure your remote workforce during the pandemic. So, I mean, to me, that's like, you know, if you're in a situation now where you're having a hard time sleeping at night because you know your your entry from the outside world is just secured by passwords, look into this. Look into whether or not this free service is something that um you could leverage to get a quick fix yeah i mean if yeah if you work from home i don't think you could seriously say that you're you're you know have the right security if you're just using password i think that that is a no-brainer <laughs> you know if you're doing any type of remote work there needs to be that second factor somewhere uh, to make sure you've got the proper level of security um right you know, what's something that I found disturbing in that same report, and I'll put this report into the show notes uh, so that people can find it wherever they get their podcasts. That usually is some sort of detail page. We always get questions on that. Uh, it'll be in there. Um, 40% of respondents have cut their cybersecurity budgets as a cost-saving measure, measure to help tackle the COVID-19 crisis. So I think that's scary <laughs> because now you're, you know, you, you've got more people working from home. And theoretically, you're spending less on security to cover those people. Uh, you know, not not a direct one-to-one -one correlation, but people cutting cybersecurity in this time when there's going to be more phishing attacks, more you know everything else that goes along with with that. I think it's just a terrible combination. And you know, the other thing I think that was really interesting was half of them would consider ask would would half of the the companies would consider making workforce reductions if it meant company data protection could be properly funded. So they're cutting funding, but the way that they see clawing back that funding is by doing reductions in an, in an already terrible job market uh, because of you know all the shutdowns that are happening. So I think it's right. I think it's a really interesting and you know unfortunate 
approach to it. I think this is a time when security should not be on the table for cuts, um, especially if you are, you know, doing the work from home type stuff uh, that has become so prevalent. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, because you're in the airline industry, how can you not uncover, turn, un, turn over every stone looking for places to cut? Um, yeah. You know, they, they're, their businesses in the tank at the same time, it just creates a perfect opportunity to attack you. <laughs> so it's, right. you know, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Um, I do think a couple of things is, you know, you've got to expect that this pandemic is going to end at some point and that things will shift back to normal. And one of the things that we saw was that Cybersecurity professionals were in high demand before this happened, you know, higher than in other fields. And so if you wind up cutting workforce, and by the way, cutting workforce isn't free. It's not like we're paying you, you know, a thousand dollars a week and then we're going to get rid of you and it's going to cost us nothing. There's there's some kind of residual cost to keep paying you know, a severance or something to get rid of somebody. If you have to turn around six months later, hire somebody back into that position, now you've got the cost of recruiting somebody. Now, I'm being a realist and just seeing what's going on in certain industries, they might not have any choice. So that might create an opportunity for a company that's not as bad of a place to, you know, if you feel like you can hire, there's probably some cybersecurity people who are pretty good out on the streets right now. Um, I don't think there's that many industries hiring. I, you know, they, they re- released the unemployment numbers today, and it's something like 16% unemployment in the United States. That's a, a great. It hasn't been that low or that high since the Great Depression. But yeah. it feels like it, it's going to be a temporary number. Things are starting to open back up. But I have talked to people who are extremely worried you know i'm a person that like i am not that worried about it um but i talk to other people and i know they're extremely worried i'm going i'm already going back to the gym and i know other people are just think i'm absolutely nuts going back to the gym and people who live in my my own town who are like i would never go to the gym so i but i i i saw i'm starting to see restaurants open up and you know, the Mexican restaurant that's near my house was, they had a line outside on Cinco de Mayo. Like, mm-hmm. I think people are ready to get back to things, or, mo- or a lot of people are ready to get back to things. So I feel like a lot of people, I think the next wave will be, you know, let's get a, a month or two months under our belt and see if the pandemic spikes again. And if it doesn't, then maybe it's safe to go out again. I, I kind of feel like there, there's, different levels of caution that people are following depending on kind of their risk tolerance. Yeah. I think everybody's making risk-based decisions and, you know, I'm happy staying at home, letting all the guinea pigs out, <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> um, I'm definitely yeah. one of your guinea pigs. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I, I think going back to the point of, you know, talent, I think there will definitely be talent available, but I think security, you know, s- security has always been a hot market for, you know, positions and for people looking to get into the space. Um, and I don't see that dropping anytime soon because I think if anything, right, this, 
this current situation highlights the need for good security, especially these as these companies get hit, whether it's phishing or ransomware, you know, or even just taking in now a flood of, uh, you know, e-com customers that weren't there before because you were a traditional brick and mortar restaurant, right, or uh, some other type of business. I see a lot of a lot of companies that have now gotten into the consumer IAM game and have no idea what they're doing, <laughs> right, and are, are figuring out as they go. So I think, I think, uh, you know, the, the identity space specifically within security is very strong position right now. And I don't see that going, going down anytime soon. Right. So your advice for somebody who's just getting into this industry would be continue to do so. <laughs> <laughs> continue to do so. Get some experience and you know, watch YouTube videos, check out um, ID pro. Uh, which is an organization specifically for identity professionals that at least that I'm a member of, um, they have a good um, body of knowledge that's designed for people to get into and start to learn things. Uh, you know, it's not, and it's not just for newbies. It's, you know, for people who maybe focus on one specific area, but want to brush up on another area. Maybe you're, you're great on the identity governance, but you need to bone up on authentication or authorization, right? I think there's kind of something out there, but it's like any other job. You've got to keep your skills relevant and current and be able to adapt to the changes that are, that are part of, you know, the natural ebb and flow of business. And as long as you do that, um, you know, I feel like you'll, you'll have done everything within your power uh, to make yourself marketable and hireable and relevant to an organization. Absolutely. And listen to the Identity Center podcast. Oh, of course. Week. I mean, that's, that's a no brainer, Jim. I mean, we, sh- you know, we should obviously be the number one source for all of any information. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's probably a good spot uh, to leave it for this week. Um, anything else you want to bring up, Jim, before we wrap up? No, I think, you know, just, yeah. Shout out to all the uh, mothers out there. Who, yep. You know, Happy Mother's Day. We all have one. And um, most mothers do a freaking amazing job. So. Shout out to all the mothers, especially the identity uh, and access management mothers. Right on. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Everyone stay healthy. And uh, I think with that, we'll leave it. And we'll talk to you all in the next one. You've been listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. For more episodes, visit identityatthecenter.com.